I'm Paul Brady, regional editor at The Cork Report, and this is my podcast, A Northern Wine Odyssey, part of The Cork Report Podcast Network. To listen, search Cork Report in Google or your podcast app of choice. In today's episode, I speak to Brittany Gibson. She's the executive director of the Seneca Lake Wine Trail. We talk about what wine trails are and how they can be a resource to you as you begin to plan your trip to New York wine country. But first, a note about Open Local Wine Night. Most local wineries, wherever local is for you, are hanging on through the pandemic. Through a combination of loyal wine club members, online orders, and a big dose of creativity, they've been able to stay afloat over the past 10 months when their tasting rooms were either closed or significantly restricted. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a lover of local wines, and the wineries that make the wines we all love need our help. The team at Cork Report Media and I hope you'll join us and wine lovers across the country on April 10th, 2021, for Open Local Wine Night, a celebration of local wine. It's easy to participate. Just buy some local wine, open it on April 10th, and post a picture on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook with the hashtag OpenLocalWine. It's really as easy as that. And if you're a winery that would like to participate, please visit thecorkreport.us to register. See you on April 10th. All right, now, Brittany Gibson of the Seneca Lake Wine Trail. Thank you, as always, to Dave Miller for our opening and closing music. Check him out at DaveMillerGuitar.com or wherever you purchase your stream music. Joining me today, Executive Director of the Seneca Lake Wine Trail, Brittany Gibson. Hey, Brittany. Hey, Paul. Before I forget, I have to ask you, because I saw on the on the social medias that you were uh, checking out the Bev New York Conference, which is... Uh, Viticulture and Business of Wine Conference, put on by Cornell University and the New York Wine and Grape Foundation, my former employer. And uh, I, it looked to me like you got to check out the keynote speaker who was Jancis Robinson this year. Is that right? That's right. Tell us about that. Oh my gosh. She was phenomenal. She's always phenomenal, right? <laughs> she was talking about uh, the Finger Lakes and New York State wine on the whole as an emerging wine region um, and sort of positioning ourselves against regions in the rest of the world and kind of what we need to do to take our, take our destination and our region to the next level. And I I could have literally listened to her all day. So what were one or two like action items that, that you took away from, from hearing her talk in terms of how the industry in New York throughout the state can continue to grow? I think a couple things. She she really talked about the importance of public relations, of getting out there, and there's nothing like putting feet on the street in terms of talking to distributors, talking to restaurants, talking to other buyers about our wines and about what makes them unique. Um, she also noted not to be scared of hybrids, um, that there's less resistance to hybrids out there, and that to me was really interesting. Um, and she also encouraged us not to put all of our eggs in the Riesling basket. 
um, or maybe I should say all of our grapes in the Riesling lug. Um, she really talked about the fact that as much as she would love to see us do that, that we can't solely rely on Riesling to sort of carry us forward, that that might get our foot in the door. Um, but it's important to be, um, you know, thinking about all the other things that we do really well. So um, I, I just, I find her so engaging and so dynamic. And I, like I said, I could have listened to her all day. That's so interesting. I can remember when I was working with the Wine and Grape Foundation, there was um, sort of a less than stellar review uh, written about some New York wines from her publication. And that uh, that wasn't so fun to read. It wasn't written by her specifically. Um, but I mean, even, even with that, once upon a time, New York wines didn't even get reviewed at all. So my, my way right. of thinking about that was, look, it's better to get a little bit of negative press every once in a while than no press at all. Um, and, and she truly has been a good champion for the region. I, I, I know that. And, and, you know, you can't, that's where the, that saying comes in. You can't win them all. And there were some, there were some, uh, some wines in, in that particular review that did get some, some praise. Um, mm -hmm. But it's fascinating for me to, to, to know that she was pro hybrids and also saying that you can't uh, rely solely on Riesling. Those are two things that some people, as you know, and I know, People don't like to, to hear that <laughs> in the New York, especially in the Finger Lakes, because there's obviously so much Riesling planted. And there has been so much progress made with vinifera grape viticulture. Um, so I'm sensitive to that. And I understand that, uh, you know, there, there are a lot of people who have worked so hard to, to get the vinifera grapes off the ground, up and running. And now all of a sudden hybrids are like having this resurgence. So it is a really delicate uh, balance. And I think we do need to be sensitive to, to everyone involved. It is a balance for sure. And beyond just the wine and, and what we're doing in that arena, we, she also talked a lot about people. Um, and the moderator asked her how she felt about, um, you know, sustainability and issues like social justice and diversity and equity and inclusion. And I actually said, you know, I'm going to pull this quote out if I ever need to. Um, the moderator asked her, you know, how do you feel about people who might be resistant to social justice initiatives just because it's such a charged topic? And she said, and I quote, to resist them um, is stupid. Uh, she was pretty frank about it. Um, and I thought, you know, hearing, I think for the industry to hear it from someone that they so greatly respect um, and who is so well known is really a, an important gut check for us. It's something that I can tell you our organization is going to start working on um, and thinking about pretty critically is how do, how do we make our our industry more open and welcoming and inclusive and reflective of society as a whole. So, um, yeah, I just I left that keynote feeling supercharged, as you can probably tell. <laughs> Very cool. Thank you for uh, that bit of reporting. Um, so let's talk about uh, your role at the Seneca Lake Wine Trail. You've been there at least a couple years now, I know. Um, what were, how, how did you end up in that, in your role there? And how did you, I mean, I know you're a native of the Finger Lakes from, from Dundee Village, correct? Yes, Dundee. Mm -hmm. Love Dundee. I've, I've gotten to know Dundee Village quite well via our uh, mutual friends, the Kendalls. That's right. Uh, love the classic cafe. Definitely had some pizza from Peterson's. And have had a drink or two at the poorhouse. 
Wow. Okay. You are, you are well-versed in Dundee. I, I, I credit Dundee. Nate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fan. Uh, okay. So yeah. How did you get uh, to your job at the Seneca Lake Wine Trail? And how, other than just being a native of the region, how did you come to approach wine professionally? So as you said, I was uh, raised here in the Finger Lakes, right in Dundee, very small town. Um, I don't even know if we have a thousand people in terms of the village population. Um, I went to college thinking I was going to go to law school, uh, was a business major and, and uh, double majored in business and legal studies. On the business side, I concentrated in marketing and communications. Um, at the time, I was at Ithaca College and they had a really neat uh, program in the Division of Interdisciplinary Studies that allowed you to sort of bridge different schools within the college. So that's the way that I was able to have such a, a breadth of areas of study as an undergrad. And that was really instrumental in, in paving the way for me to go forward. Um, I worked for a little bit as a paralegal um, for a few years after college, um, had some health challenges and setbacks that just really forced me to kind of reconsider my career path. At the time, I was working at Fulkerson Winery on the west side of Seneca Lake for Sarah and Nancy Fulkerson, who are two of the most phenomenal people you could ever meet. Um, my colleagues there were more like family, um, Kendra Kissel, John Izzard. Um, we really were a big family there. Um, and I credit them for helping me get through all the challenges that I faced. Um, they were incredibly understanding and incredibly kind and caring. And I think that that, I think as you experienced here in, in the Finger Lakes in particular, and on Seneca Lake, I would even say that that is really indicative of the of our industry on the whole. Everybody is genuinely kind and caring. That's not just a marketing talking point. Um, so like I said, I was working at the tasting room just sort of as a fun weekend job. Honestly, like I, my main job was so stressful that I needed something just fun on the weekends. So that's where I really learned that, Hey, I really kind of love this wine thing and I have a knack for it. Um, so long story short, I ended up changing my career path. I took on a kind of sales advertising wine club role at Fulkerson's spent 10 years there. Um, and really was able to stretch myself and learn and grow, um, moved on to the Watkins Glen Area Chamber of Commerce, where I served as tourism and marketing manager for a few years. That was a really helpful role because I really learned a lot about tourism marketing and positioning destinations. Um, and then, as you said, I took on the role as the executive director at the Wine Trail in November of 2018. So I would say that I took a, a pretty non-traditional approach to the world of wine. I didn't exactly move move um, very strategically, but you know, I love that saying that I may not have ended, you know, have not gone where I intended to go, but I ended up where I needed to be. Um, and I am just so happy and fulfilled in this role. I absolutely love working with wineries. I love helping promote the region. And I'm personally super passionate about making sure people know that they can stay here, they can live and work here um, and contribute to a community that is agricultural based. I think that there's something to be said for that. Um, and I'm just working really hard to leave things better than I found them all the time. That's always my goal. So um, continue to just learn and grow every day as a wine professional, I would say. I think we both know that's a lifelong journey. <laughs> it sure is. Very cool. So let's talk. Let's start by talking a little bit about 
the Seneca Lake Wine Trail and wine trails in general. And then we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of the wineries along the Seneca Lake Wine Trail and some of their wines that recently fared very well in in an important competition. So wine trails. I'm not certain that everyone really understands what they are. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I didn't, and I was coming at it, you know, from as someone who was in the trade in New York City. I think that like me, most people think wine trails. Oh, okay. So you mean like the those signs on the side of the road that say like this way to uh, Lakewood Vineyards or whatever? Right. Right. Well, yeah, that's part of it. But there's, of course, a lot more to it that that I learned. So go ahead and 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 talk a little bit about wine trails in general, and then um, let's get into some of the events that you've been a part of in your role as executive director. And then how consumers can make use of wine trails? Like, how are they a resource? Yeah, I actually think I'll start with your last question first, Paul, because I think that primes it up really nicely. Wine Trails um, actually was our sister lake to the east of us. The Cayuga Lake Wine Trail is considered the first wine trail in the country. They launched in 1982. The Seneca Lake Wine Trail this year, we're celebrating our 35th anniversary. We were founded in 1986. Um, we are, you know, trails in general are just a very easy way for consumers to understand the geography. So we're really lucky in the Finger Lakes to have these long, thin lakes that are basically lined with wineries all around them. And so a wine trail for a consumer is just a very easy way to navigate and go from point A to point B. Um, as an organization, a wine trail, as you said, there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes. So our, even though the Seneca Lake Wine Trail is our DBA, we are officially legally known as the Seneca Lake Winery Association. We are a 501c6, which means we are a not-for-profit, membership-based organization. So we have 29 member wineries. They all pay dues into us. Um, and we then take those dues and, and other forms of income, like special event ticket sales, and plug them back into marketing efforts on behalf of those 29 member wineries. Um, and that is really our that's our primary focus is marketing, getting eyes on the brand, eyes on the trail, and people through our tasting room doors. Cool. So what if 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 someone is visiting the region for the first time mm-hmm. and wants to get information about a few wineries that that may speak to them, what uh, what should they do? How should they well, use the Seneca Lake Wine Trail for something like that? Yeah, so that's that's a perfect question. We one of the things that we really have focused a lot of time and energy on since I took over at the trail is the redevelopment and launch of a new website. So we did that back in uh, May of 2019. That was kind of the first few months of my employment there was getting this website primed up and ready to go. And it's SenecaLakeWine.com. That website is really chock full of information about the various wineries. The big thing since COVID-19 struck last March Um, at least started impacting our region, was the closure of our tasting rooms. And then the various changes and iterations of tasting room operations in the months since, and now a year since. Um, So we 
have housed a page on our website called Current Winery Offerings, and it's linked right on our homepage. People can find it really quickly and easily. Um, I would say that that's probably the best way that we can help consumers is by visiting our website. And on our website, you can find hours of operation, group size restrictions, tasting requirements, whether you need reservations or whether you can do a walk-in, because every winery is doing things a little bit differently right now. So we really just try to serve as a resource, and that our website, SenecaLakeWine.com, is really the best frontline resource we have. Um, But people can also always call our office, too. It's 607-535-8080, or you can just Google Seneca Lake Wine Trail and tap the call button, and we'll, we'll be on the other end of the line to help you. So what are some of the the larger events that you've been a part of or, you know, maybe even before you worked there? What are some events that people can look forward to? Maybe certain annual ones or even some special ones that might be coming up as we're getting into the warmer months? Yeah. So we have obviously Deck the Halls is something that we're really well known for. That's a Christmas themed event in November and December. Um, You know, Spring Wine and Cheese is another really popular one that we host in April every year. Uh, you know, those who are looking on the wider side for just Finger Lakes wines, New York State wines in general, the Finger Lakes Wine Festival is one of the largest wine festivals on the East Coast. Um, and that's held up at Watkins Glen International, which is right in our backyard. And we are really proud to be the glass sponsor at that event. Um, we're super excited because they are going to proceed with Finger Lakes Wine Festival this year. Um, there's over 90 wineries, thousands and thousands of New York State wines to sample. And of course, we're always just really excited to welcome people because that does take place, like I said, right in our backyard. Um, the other big events we have had to scale back on, to be totally honest, this year and with COVID and whatnot, we we basically canceled all of our events last year because of the pandemic. Uh, this year, we are carefully starting with um, pasta and wine, which is a pasta themed event where each winery comes up with a dish that has pasta as the central ingredient. They'll pair it with a wine and you'll visit six wineries kind of tasting and sampling your way through. Um, And we are excited to host that later this month because like I said, it's been over a year since we've welcomed anybody for a wine and food event. And this, this is one of our favorite things to do because it's We know from some research we've undertaken that these folks, by and large, Paul, are first-time visitors to our wine trail, and they use this as, I call it the toe dip experience. This is their way of dipping their toe in the water, trying to figure out which wineries fit their palate and see if this is something that they want to come back and do again. Um, And so they use those events as a first-time visitor to kind of do recon on the area, and then they plan future visits. So we are just really looking forward to hosting pasta and wine later this month and then hopefully spring wine and cheese in April. And our special events committee, that's another key component of us as an organization, are our committees. Um, Our special events committee is working on a couple of other kind of neat and different events that are to be announced. So stay tuned. Very cool. I really just want to eat pasta now after yeah. hearing about that. <laughs> I just want to eat pasta all the time, pretty much. So pasta yeah. and cheese and wine, I mean, come on. <laughs> so I before we get into talking about some of the wineries along the Seneca Lake Wine Trail and, and some of the wines, uh, I'm curious to get your take on some of the hospitality offerings in the region. I think we've seen a lot of growth over the last decade in particular. and I'll, I'll, I'll say this right now before I forget. Listeners, if you're planning to visit the Finger Lakes this summer or spring or fall, make your reservations now because 
I'm headed up there next weekend for a, a quick work trip and literally everything, there was nothing on Airbnb. I think I mentioned this maybe when we were on the phone the other day, mm-hmm. um, nothing on Airbnb. And I, I was lucky that I was able to find something sort of just, uh, put, put the bat signal out there to, to friends in the region. But I mean, it is bananas that in March, Mm-hmm. almost everything was booked. And then I heard from a couple people that they're like, yeah, everything's pretty much booked for the entire summer. Yeah. And you know what? That has kind of been the case in an increasing fashion over the last couple of years. People are really starting to learn. We were always thought of as a heavily seasonal destination. So primarily July through the end of October. Um, and then it got super, super quiet after that. And you know, that being said, January is still pretty quiet, but boy, the wineries even are just reporting to me just in our weekly committee meetings. Wow, Brittany, we were busy this past weekend or wow, last Friday was crazier. Geez, Monday is even busy now. So I think people are starting to realize that we really are a solid year round destination. Um, the great thing about us is that we don't get the really heavy snow that they get north and west of us. So Buffalo and Rochester and Syracuse, you know, everybody thinks about the feet and feet of snow they get annually. The same things that make us great for growing wine makes us a more moderate winter climate. I'm not saying it's not cold. It's definitely cold. Um, But we definitely don't get the loads of winter precipitation in the form of snow that some of the, some people think of upstate New York as being famous for. So, you know, in terms of growing hospitality offerings, you're right. The last few years we've seen just an explosion of lodging options, of restaurants, and even restaurants that have been around for a long time. People are really starting to realize. I think when I and when I say people, I mean sort of from the outside, visitors, tourists, wine writers, sommeliers are really starting to understand. Like, wow, this isn't just people marketing these businesses. They really are good. So. I love seeing it. I love seeing that development and that growth because just having grown up, you know, a quarter mile off, I don't know, maybe maybe half a mile off of Route 14 on the west side of Seneca Lake, I have seen the tasting rooms pop up and the restaurants open up and the different lodging options, you know, watching the Harbor Hotel transform this previously vacant, just, I don't know, gross looking lot on the south end of Seneca Lake into this beautiful luxury, you know, triple A four diamond waterfront hotel has been, it's been phenomenal to just watch the growth and watch the talent that's coming here and back to the region. You mentioned Nate Kendall earlier and kind of funny story, small world. He's one of my really good friends from high school, actually. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's just amazing to see the talent that's coming and, and staying around and, and the growth of hospitality and the professionalism. And, you know, everybody, it seems that I talk to is enrolled in a, you know, WSET course. And it's it's just awesome to see people investing in hospitality the way they are and taking it really seriously. So I come from Michigan and what we refer to as up north in Michigan mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is very, very similar to upstate Western New York, the, as in the culture, just all the lakes and outdoor recreation. You know, the region is dotted with cute towns. Um, I lo- Naples on the south end of Canandaigua Lake is charming. I love Hammondsport for the history. Yes. But, but I'm curious to get your take on Geneva. I mean, we've seen quite a renaissance in Geneva, which is at the north end of Seneca Lake in terms of restaurants and hotels. Yes. 
things that have uh, just really been popping in Geneva. And that that's kind of like the hip place to be in the region. Would you agree? I would absolutely agree. Um, you know, you've seen things like Kindred Fair and Red Dove and FLX Table and FLX Frybird and, um, you know, all the stuff that Chris and Isabel have done up there. But also uh, Linden Street is amazing. And the renovation of the Dove Block um, by Dave Bunnell, who is just he's just got incredible foresight and forethought and really believes in the arts and community and things like that. Um, you know, it's been tremendous to see tremendous. And then to have the state of New York open a visitor center, um, right at the North end of the lake, sort of flanking, uh, Seneca Lake state park. It's, it's been phenomenal to see the Renaissance there. Um, I'm excited to see what the future holds up there too. I think it's only going to get better. So, I mean, we we have to, I, I suppose, acknowledge that the pandemic has had a, a, an interesting effect on local regional tourism. I mean, last summer, I, I went to the Adirondacks for the first time in my adult yes. life, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people went to the Finger Lakes for the first time. They did. Uh, I mean, it's- A lot of New Yorkers came to the Finger Lakes for the first time because they were afraid to fly or couldn't fly. Right, right. And it's something that I I- uh, you know, having worked mostly in New York City, it's really pretty amazing how many wine professionals have never been to the Finger Lakes who who live and work in New York City. I mean, I, I would say still the far majority of them. And when you ask them, you always get the same answer. They're always like, I'm so embarrassed to say that I've never been to the mm-hmm. Finger Lakes. And especially mm-hmm. when it was my job to recruit trade to come to the Finger Lakes, so many of them, it was their first time. So certainly last summer, a lot of first timers checked it out. I think we're going to see the same thing this spring in summer. So whether you're a member of the trade or just a, a wine drinking consumer, how would you recommend somebody structure like a long weekend to the Finger Lakes? I'd... I think three to four wineries a day is is the max probably, um, but I would make sure that on on at some point you dedicate some time to be outside, whether it's on the lake sailing, you know, with the schooner True Love or renting kayaks or something like that. Definitely make sure you get out on the water. It's seeing the lake from land and then seeing land from the lake are two very different experiences, and and you're missing out if you only get one or the other. Uh, definitely make sure you stop at some of our state parks. Watkins Glen State Park is easily one of the most iconic state parks in New York State. Um, 19 waterfalls in less than a mile and a half. The trail is, to me, it's relatively easy. Um, it's definitely got lots of stairs and there's quite a bit of elevation gain, if you will, but it's it's tremendous. It reminds me of Middle Earth and you know, like something out of The Hobbit. And I that was one of my favorite things to do when I was working at the Chamber of Commerce in Watkins Glen was host travel writers um, because I just loved watch. I probably went to the park two to three times a week through those hosting trips. And I just loved it. Ever It never got old seeing people's faces as you sort of crest that first curve above Cavern Cascade. And they see this waterfall that they can walk behind. It's just, it's awesome. Um, it's like experiencing the region all over again. So definitely make sure you check out, obviously, if you're coming here for the wine, you want to experience the wineries, but make sure you stop and check out some of our restaurants, visit 
visit uh, some of our farm stands, some of our creameries. There's, I mean, there is so much to do, Paul. I don't even know where to start, but wine is a good place for sure. <laughs> and I wonder if you might know, I mean, there's, it's kind of a tough region to, to get to. And I think that that's one right. of the reasons that it maintains its uniqueness is because mm-hmm. it is so far removed mm-hmm. from, from really any big city uh, influence. Yeah. I mean, I actually think it might, the region is cl- probably closer to Toronto than any other big city. Um, and I'm wondering what are your tips for getting to the region and then getting around the region? You can get to the region by bus pretty easily from places like New York city uh, there, there are a number of different options there. Driving always probably the easiest. You Definitely can fly to, yeah, you can fly to Rochester or Syracuse and then you're about an hour out from sort of right. the, the heart of the region. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you really, you, you pretty much want a car when you're there, right? It's, I, it'd be tough to do so. without. It, yeah, I agree. It gives you the flexibility that you need. And I think that's kind of the nice thing about coming to the Finger Lakes is that, you're literally only limited by your imagination. You know, some destinations it's sort of like, okay, you came, you saw, that's all there is to it. Um, but goodness gracious, like I said, it's hard to direct somebody where to begin because it's sort of like, well, the first question I would start with is what do you like to do? Obviously wine is huge, but we've also got outdoor recreation and paddling and sailing and boating, but there's this huge um, agritourism piece with creameries and um, horseback riding and all sorts of things along, along those lines. And you could go just spend days looking for waterfalls, going from waterfall to waterfall or park to park. Um, There's also a huge arts component here, Um, you know, with the Corning Museum of Glass and, you know, various other things with, with music and, um, the Clement Center in Elmira is gorgeous, and I'm hoping, crossing my fingers, that they're able to reopen. And the Rockwell Museum in Corning, um, you know, there, there's just so much, I think, that that people are really surprised once they get here. And that's not even scratching the surface of the history and the innovation piece. Um, you know, the Curtis Museum in Hammondsport is phenomenal. The things that happened here that people don't even know about. Um, there's women's history and women's rights and suffrage, you know, born in Seneca Falls and um, so much in terms of abolitionism that went on. Um, Certainly not necessarily at the forefront of what people know us for, but there was very much a social movement here in the Finger Lakes. Um, You know, one of my favorite hidden gems, Paul, is on the east side of Seneca Lake, a place called Queens Castle. It's at Kaywood Point. Um, And Susan B. Anthony and several other very very prominent um, suffragettes used to gather there each summer. Um, And it served as a place where women could get together and really think about critical issues of the time and talk about politics. And that's not something that you did widely, you know, in greater society at the time. So um, that's always, uh, you got to stop and check that out. Um, It's actually part of the Finger Lakes National Forest, which is another tremendous, tremendous asset we have here. It's on the east side of Seneca Lake, over 16,000 acres. I mean, you can go there and literally never see another person. I mean, you yeah. talk about solitude. <laughs> um, I'm curious if you know, because this is something that I like to remind people. Oftentimes when people 
talk about going to wine country or in particular, they're going up to the Finger Lakes for the first time. I hear them say, well, we're going to, we're going to take the bus or we're going to fly and then, um, you know, take a, take a taxi to the region or whatever. And then because we're probably going to be drinking, we're going to just take car services everywhere. And I'm always like, "Mm, that's not so easy to do yet. I mean, there is a little bit of Uber and Lyft around, I know, but But it's spotty. It has been, Mm -hmm. yeah, it has been spotty. Is that changing at all? Um, there's definitely more Uber, I would say, but it's definitely not, I wouldn't call it reliable. Um, and I, one thing people know about me is I'm painfully honest. So I'm not going to sit here as a market, you know, even try to use my marketing prowess and say, well, it's, it's here. Well, yeah, it's here, but it's not great. And I would hate for somebody to plan a trip, like you said, fly in, take a taxi and then get here and they're stuck because they have no vehicle. Honestly, having a car is really the best bet. Um, but that being said, even if you don't have a car or don't have a license or don't drive, whatever it might be, there are transportation services too, that you can hire for the day, um, you know, with small sedans or things like that. Um, there's even services where if you do bring a car, but you don't want to drive and don't necessarily want to bring an extra person with you, if let's say it's you and your significant other, and you don't want to just bring a third wheel just to drive. There's even services where you can hire a designated driver for the day. They're fully licensed, fully insured. They will come and meet you wherever you are with a driver. They will drive you around in your vehicle all day for a fee that's definitely less than, than some of the larger transportation options. Um, and you can do it that way. So I will say, I agree with you though, having a car is probably your best bet. Very good information. Um, I think we should get into um, some of these wines that, uh, yes, that, we, that we that we plan to talk about. So around Seneca, Seneca Lake is certainly sort of the hub of the region. It's the lake that has the most amount of wineries around it. So we specifically decided to taste three wines from three different wineries that are all members of the Seneca Lake Wine Trail and are sort of coincidentally right down the road from one another. So let's start with um the the wagner riesling so we're gonna we're gonna talk about three wines and each of these wines we selected them because they each did very well in uh the new york wine and grape foundation classic competition that was uh the results were announced recently so let's talk about wagner as a winery uh, and we'll get into this wine there i believe I'm, i'm actually sipping on it right now i have it next to me i don't have the bottle next to me was it 2019 riesling select that's right. Yeah. Um, so this is a, a, a Riesling from Wagner that I've enjoyed for a while. It's definitely sweet, but super, super balanced and has tended to do very well for them. I remember the Wine Advocate scored this particular label very high, I think, in the last year or two. Mm-hmm. And just because it is sweet, I would. this is not a dessert wine. I would still totally drink this wine with savory food mm-hmm. uh, and would be really a pretty good match with most food. Um, So talk about Wagner uh, as a winery in terms of its importance to the Seneca Lake wine trail, because this this is a big historic winery. It is definitely a big historic winery. They were one of the first wineries to open on Seneca Lake. Um, Bill Wagner opened Wagner Vineyards in 1979. 
Um, and they are also home to some of the older blocks of Riesling in the region. So this wine in particular, Paul, is called Riesling Select because the majority of the fruit comes from that first block of Riesling they ever planted, uh, which went in in 1979. So for our purposes, this would be considered old vine Riesling here in our area. Um, and like you said, it is definitely sweet. Um, but what, what makes our Riesling in the Finger Lake so famous is that it's got beautiful acid um, and our alcohol, because we have a, a relatively short um, kind of cool growing season moderated by our lakes, our alcohol does not generally get obnoxiously high. So our wines are exceptionally well balanced and they're great with food. Like you said, even though this Riesling is quite sweet, um, it's very balanced and would be great with savory food. I mean, so, I'm, yeah, I'm sipping on it right now, and you really forget the sweetness quite quickly. That's right. It 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 ends up just drinking more like one of those, you know, just electrifying rieslings filled with a good amount of tension. Um, just this very push pull between the acidity and the sweetness that uh, mm-hmm. uh, is really a knock out of the park, and so well priced. That's one of the things about the Wagner wines, and and. Uh, you know, since Wagner is, has been around a long time, they've had this land for a very long time and they grow a huge amount of acreage. And so they're able to price their wines that, that are super affordable and typically always punch above their weight. Yeah. And I think what's amazing about Wagner too, is that they have remained dedicated to their brand, their family, their land. And I think that's because they have stayed involved. They're into their fourth and fifth generation um, working the vineyards. You know, John Wagner oversees the vineyards. His sons work with him. Um, His sister, Laura, is involved at the winery. Um, His wife is involved at the winery. It's it's really something to see. Um, you know, Ginny is involved. Uh, she runs the Ginny Lee Cafe. That's Laura's daughter. Um, you know, Laura's son, Kevin, does a lot of wholesale work for them. It's just the Wagners are what I would consider to be pillars of the foundation of the Seneca Lake wine community. And it's, it's, it's truly an honor to work with them. That's not overstating it. John Wagner is quite possibly my favorite grape grower to talk to maybe in all of New York. I, mean, he's, I was just going to say, I love talking to him. <laughs> yeah. He's just endlessly passionate. He will talk yes. to you for as long as you want to talk to him about grape growing. And is just a very uh, good, you know, community guy, um, always teaching, always willing to share information and just uh, just a passionate and, and very, very skilled grape grower. Now, all three of these wineries that we're going to talk about have very good growers. So let's, uh, let's go down the road a little bit and talk about Lamoureux Landing. So the wine mm-hmm. in question is their T20 2019 Cabernet Franc, which is, this one is, is called T23, which stands for Tank 23, uh, specifying that this... Cabernet Franc does not spend time in oak barrels. So this is an unoaked Cabernet Franc from Lamoureux Landing, east side of Seneca Lake again. Mm-hmm. And the grower there, also a Wagner, Mark Wagner, uh, another one of the top growers really in all of the state. 
Yes, tremendously talented, extremely knowledgeable. Um, once the pandemic dies down, hopefully this summer, I'm really hopeful that they can restart their vineyard tours because the way that Mark explains how wine, what the journey of wine is from the grape in the vineyard to the bottle and the wine that you're tasting in the tasting room, I would say save John Wagner. He's one of the best storytellers in in the in the industry on Seneca Lake, um, you know, and then you throw in Josh Wig, his partner there, that he does a phenomenal job as well, talking about the wines and, and how they come to be. Um, you know, Aaron Royson, their winemaker, incredibly talented, definitely has some serious Finger Lakes winemaking chops behind him. And this T23 is a great example of, of what Cabernet Franc can be, even if it's not oak aged. Yeah, it's a, a an excellent example of a style of Cabernet Franc that particularly I prefer. I think it's Me too. Mm-hmm. the unoaked styles are really coming on strong and sort of the the lighter, more early drinking, refreshing styles of Cabernet Franc. I mean, that's those are just the kinds of red wine that that I want to drink every day. Um opened it last night, had it with dinner, very very satiating beautiful, bright acidity. And definitely with that, that uh, signature pyrazine bell pepper note that, that, you know, you, you want in a Cabernet Franc. That's sort of what makes Cabernet Franc Cabernet Franc. And I absolutely love, it was really a knockout of the park. I mean, it's, it's not easy. It's not hard to see why these wines scored well in the competition. Yeah. And I think you made a really good point, Paul, about um, how great Cabernet Franc can be when it's done in stainless, because I think sometimes people are not familiar with, uh, you know, good examples of Cabernet Franc. They think about them as these very spicy, vegetable-y, bell peppery tasting, you know, smelling things. And that's not what Finger Lakes Cab Francs are at all. And as a matter of fact, seeing the increasing number um, being made with such balance and such great fruit. Um, you know, this one in particular, I know Aaron did a whole berry carbonic maceration and you can definitely, you just can taste the difference. Um, and I know that at Lamoral Landing, they are really, really proud of their T23 and they have a huge following um, because of the stellar wines that they make. They're definitely well known for their talent in terms of working with viniferas and focusing on drier styles. Um, and the other thing that's neat about Lamoral Landing is their dedication to sustainability. Um, they are 100% solar powered. You'll actually roll into the parking lot and you see the solar panels and Mark can tell you all about his dedication and why he believes in that. Um, you know, same thing with the, with their neighbors at Wagner Vineyards. Um, you know, they adopt sustainable vineyard practices. And they, they're all about making sure one of the things that always stuck with me from, from John Wagner was, you know, he said, we are farmers first. And as a farmer, I always want to make sure that I'm returning the land to the next generation in a better condition than I found it. Um, and that, that to me tells you all you need to know. Yeah. And I think it's, it's important that you're, that you're mentioning this because I mean, it wasn't always that way. I mean, agri viticulture is, I mean, it's not new in New York, but we do have quite a harsh, cold, wet climate. So these mm-hmm. sustainable practices are risky, but obviously rewarding. And again, that dedication to sustainability is not something that was that was always around. So these three wineries in particular are most definitely uh, involved in pushing responsible viticulture forward. I, I was 
privilege to moderate a seminar at Finger Lakes Community College uh, on the subject of of sustainability and um, in particular uh, biodynamic approaches and how some mm-hmm. of these uh, bio bio uh, intensive practices uh, can work in the vineyards of the Finger Lakes and all three growers from these three wineries, uh, Wagner, Lamoureux Landing, and Hazlitt, which we'll talk about next, were at the seminar contributing, asking questions, giving answers. Uh, and this is this is a really cool thing going on that I think should be talked about more. This um, group of growers that gets together, and it's sort of spearheaded by Paul Brock, who's the owner winemaker, Silver grape thread. grower of Silver Thread, yep, over on the east side of the lake. And is also uh, head of the winemaking program at uh, Finger Lakes Community College. And, and these growers get together once a month, I believe, and each of them t- are trying out different things in their vineyards using biointensive practices. And I think this is a good uh, segue to, to, to turn to Hazlitt now, because Hazlitt is a winery that I am endlessly fascinated by. I mean, they... they they're well known as being a tourist winery, as making sort of novelty wines. Red Cat in particular is um, sort of a semi-sweet. Um, it's almost like a rosé or, or or a light red that's made from mostly Catawba grapes, which are Labrusca grapes that have that very grapey flavor. But it's actually a pretty nice wine. Um, the Red Cat's inexpensive, and uh, you know they they crank out hundreds of thousands of cases every year. And I believe it's actually the number one selling New York wine in New York State. I, I think uh, I could be wrong there, but uh, they make a lot of it and they sell a lot of it, and that's sort of what ha- the Hazlitt brand is known for. And if you go into their tasting room, it's it's sizable, it's uh, there, it's fun, it, it's it's touristy, but their vinifera wines are one of those best kept secrets. In the region. Agreed. And their vinifera winemaker, Michael Reddy, very talented. And again, the grower, John Santos. I mean, if you if you walk into Hazlitt, you might look around and see, you know, bottles of red cat with a cartoon cat on the label and not think that this winery is seriously growing grapes, but they are seriously growing some good grapes. Yeah, what's incredible, I think, is like you said, their heritage line of wines, which includes this. Um, award-winning Pinot Gris, best in class at the, the New York Wine Classic. Um, they, yes, they're known for Red Cat, and yes, it's a it's a very popular, very well-known wine. Um, their vinifera program, though, is something to behold. I would say it's 100% estate grown. They have 55 acres planted in vinifera, um, you know. And Michael is a dedicated vinifera winemaker. That is what he does, and good lord, does he do it well! Yeah, and, and again, their vineyard, um, John, in the vineyard is is helping to to push the the conversation of of uh, sustainability forward for yes. sure. Um, yeah, and that was with that was composting, of- and they use their great pumice as yeah they and they even take in other wineries great pumice and you know reuse it as compost. So, um, like you said, they're just doing some really phenomenal things. And and one of the things that I know that they typically will point to is that separation of having a dedicated vinifera winemaker, um, 
allows them to focus and to do some innovative and different things and keep quality really high. But you're right, definitely closing the loop between the vineyard manager and the winery and the winemaking is really important and it allows their wines to really, really perform well. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't stress enough to consumers or to sommeliers. I mean, don't sleep on the Hazlitt wines. They're, uh, again, so well-priced and, and just punch above their weight. So yeah, the Pinot Gris 2019 was very, um, I mean, this in a good way, definitely like sort of neutral, um, but with bright acidity, acidity signature kind of citrusy, lemony kind of things going on, um, but also of a nice savory, nutty character to sort of balance that out. That was another um, uh, one that we opened last night with dinner and I, I actually sent Michael a text just saying, bravo. Um, so, yep, just a, just another winery that offers wines that, that aren't as well known in like the fine dining sommelier scene, but they should be because they're very useful wines. They should be. I like that. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I want to sort of, as we are sort of approaching um, the hour, the end of an hour, I want to ask you what your feeling is about the future of both, you know, winemaking as well as the identity of the region. So you mentioned earlier that at Bev New York, Jancis Robinson said, you know, don't, don't be hell bent on hanging your hats on Riesling don't hate on hybrids. What is your feeling uh, on that? I mean, there's Riesling, you know, as, as a sommelier, I I assure you, I love Riesling, but it is a tough sell. It's, it's not one of those, uh, it's not Chardonnay. It's not Pinot Grigio. It's not Pinot Noir. It's not Cabernet Sauvignon. You know, it's not necessarily a household name, even, uh, among semi-serious wine drinkers. As much as we love it and as beautiful and special as the Rieslings coming out of the Finger Lakes and New York are, it is still a tough sell. And I'm noticing every year there's a little bit more bulk Riesling for sale on the Cornell Classified site. So how do we sort of deal with that? If if there's too much Riesling in the ground already, what should the next steps be? Especially because when something like Cabernet Franc is being understood in the vineyard better than it was 15 years ago or so. It seems like there might be an opportunity to carefully and sustainably start replacing maybe some of the Riesling with a little bit more Cabernet Franc to balance it out such that the supply is not exceeding the demand. Your thoughts? Yeah. I, I don't know if I can speak to the, the, um, the quote extra Riesling that's floating around out there. Um, and I don't know if I necessarily see, I don't see us abandoning Riesling. Um, but I do think that wineries and vineyard managers, winemakers are really working closely together to kind of chart the course for the future. What varieties might we plant that we haven't considered before, um, or have been on our wish list and we just thought we, we could only do Riesling. Um, one thing that I think, is, is very promising about the Finger Lakes is our winemakers and our vineyard managers trust themselves. They are not afraid to, to do things that are considered a little bit risky um, because they know that 
they know this land best and they know what will do well here. Um, and I think that, you know, your people like Mark Wagner and Josh Wig and, and John Wagner um, and Michael Reddy and, and just everybody everywhere, I would say, um, they're working together and they're talking about things. You know, the other thing that I love seeing is uh, these communities of winemakers who are getting together and tasting each other's wines and thinking critically and constructively about what is it that we do well and what else could we be doing that we haven't maybe thought about. Um, so I do think that there is going to be a point where we need to start seeking balance in terms of what's in the ground. Um, that being said, I think Riesling is absolutely our shining star, but there's lots of other things that we do really well. Pinot Noir, it's finicky, but boy, when you taste a really well done Finger Lakes Pinot Noir, it can blow your socks off. Um, you know, Gewürztraminer is something that when done well is exceptional from the Finger Lakes. Will these become household names? I think only the future, only the future can tell. Um, but man, I sure am glad to be along for the ride. And sparkling wine. Sparkling wine is huge. It's huge. Yeah. I, I think that it's it's also been a, a, an interesting way to make use out of what were considered for a long time less desirable grapes. And I'm talking about some of these hybrid grapes. I mean, when you when you taste sparkling vignol from uh from Cuca Lake Vineyards or Cuca Spring or um you know Ian Barry has made some some delicious yeah. patnat from Leon Mio yeah. and uh mm -hmm. Ben Riccardi from Cayuga and Nathan Kendall has a, a 50-50 blend of Riesling and Cayuga. I mean that's another really good use of Riesling is sparkling wine yeah. uh and, and as a blending component. So mm -hmm. sparkling wine was absolutely what the region was founded on and it's what kind of what I like to drink the most. So I, uh, I really love this resurgence of, of sparkling wine that, that we're seeing. Yeah. I just, I am excited for the future. I think it's sort of, for me, I just, I remember even 10 years ago, you know, where it was sort of like, I just got this sense and maybe it's, I don't know, maybe I have a chip on my shoulder, but I sort of got a sense from the greater wine community that they sort of felt like, ah, oh, the Finger Lakes has sort of peaked and come and gone. You know, it's like we were going to be the new kid on the block and we sort of got that attention and then we were just going to like fade off into the sunset. And what I love is that our winemakers, our vineyard managers, the industry has done so well for itself in terms of staying true to what they really do best that they've sort of planted our feet on the ground and said, no, we are here to stay. We are a legitimate, amazing wine producing region. And, and we're going to be around for the long haul. And I think we will be. And so thinking about the future, it's sort of like, we are the only one stopping us is ourselves. Um, because who knows what will happen next? Who knows what will, what will be the next great thing? I just, I can't wait to see it. Well, I think that's a good note to close on. Um, so people make your reservations now, get up to the Finger Lakes this summer. Brittany, where can we find you and the Seneca Lake Wine Trail on social media? Uh, at Seneca Lake Wine. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, you name it. Come find us. Seneca Lake Wine. Very cool. 
Okay, Brittany, thank you so much for chatting with me today. This was a really good one, a wealth of information. Uh, I learned a lot that I didn't know about the wine trail, and it's just great to have this information to be able to pass along to uh, to people who want to come check out the region, uh, you know, maybe even for the first time. So thank you again. You're welcome. <laughs> it's a deal. Thanks, Brittany. Bye.